0: Stories Big guess. The big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, weekdays 12:30 to3 770 CHQR All right, well, from one very difficult case to another. And we mentioned this on Friday when the jury had the case, and I said, you know, keep a close eye on this. The Gerald Stanley trial, if you're not familiar with this case. This could blow up. This could become a huge, huge story. And indeed it did. Gerald Stanley was found guilty, or rather found not guilty, of second-degree murder and manslaughter in the death of Colden Boushey. This case in Saskatchewan that was very, very polarizing within Saskatchewan, going all the way back to August of 2016, now it's become, in every sense, a national story. To the point where probably... Uh, against their best judgment, or should be. We've got the prime minister and cabinet ministers are weighing in their opinions on this this jury decision. Not helpful, I don't think. I mean, the short version of the story is that Colton Bushi, this young Aboriginal man and his friend, wrote for a day of swimming that did involve some drinking. That's very much part of the record here. Their vehicle had a flat tire, they ended up on one farm where they had apparently tried to steal a vehicle. Ended up on Mr. Stanley's property. And at that point, there's some uh, differing versions of what happened. I think what the jury found here is that they they at least weren't convinced that the Crown was able to, to poke enough holes in Gerald Stanley's version of events. Uh, that he loaded his gun, he says, two or three bullets he couldn't remember. He fired two shots into the air, warning shots. The court said that was legitimate. That was lawful behavior. He fired the gun a third time. Nothing happened. Check the gun. It to him looked empty. He then approached the vehicle. He was apparently reaching into the vehicle to try to shut it off. The gun went off a third time. And it hit this young man, Colton Boushey, in the head. And he died. So a very difficult case, a very difficult circumstance, and this whole notion of hang fire, how real is it, what does it mean, what happens to the mechanics of the gun, it became a very big, big part of the narrative here. So there are a lot of factors very specific to this case, and, and I think that the jury, I think that the media, I think politicians, we need to look at this case on its own merits. But obviously there are some broader issues that this raises here. I mean, and part of it goes to, to, to the jury itself. We want to look at this through, through a racial lens. Should we be alarmed by the fact that it was an all-white jury made this decision? Should there have been Aboriginal representation on this jury? A lot of questions. And I think this is something we'll be talking about at law school for some time. Uh, Joining us for some thoughts on all of this, Peter Sankov joins us uh, with the Faculty of Law at the University of Alberta. Peter, thanks for making some time for us here today. Appreciate this. Happy to be here. Uh, This is, and, and, you know, from all I've read about it, a very difficult case. And so you've got the Crown initially trying to prove murder. That seemed like a real challenge. But what do you make of the verdict, your initial impressions?
1: Well, when you have cases like this, uh the verdict is always going to be troubling because you've got some disturbing case, you've got some disturbing facts, you've got the uh cross-racial elements and you've got a story that sounds difficult to believe. That's always uh tough from a distance. We hear the story, it doesn't seem to accord uh with our uh, uh own views of logic and what what is likely to happen and as a result, like a lot of people have trouble with it because it, it it plays into a narrative of uh historical mistreatment that's really easy to understand so as a result um whenever you have verdicts like this it's not surprising that a lot of people are asking questions
0: right and, and there was um a piece in the globe and mail another um law professor michael plaxton wrote and and i believe you'd link to it where you know it makes an interesting argument that you know to, to by that this was murder, we'd have to basically reject everything that, that Gerald Stanley said about what had happened, that he lied about uh, everything that had to do with with the firearm. But then even to accept manslaughter, you sort of back yourself into a position where you're still rejecting his his version of events, which... You know, in, in a way almost puts you back to, to murder. Did the Crown kind of tie itself in knots in trying to separate the two?
1: Uh, again, these are good questions, and I think Michael sets them out um, really nicely in sort of exploring the issues that, that are existing there. It, it, it's a tough job for the Crown. The Crown believes, I think, when they were going forward, that this was a murder case. Uh, the evidence, obviously, when they're, when they're trying to prove their case, they don't know exactly what the accused is going to say when he gets up on the stands. So they're at a disadvantage, and they have to deal Deal with the facts and the witnesses they have and I believe I, I, I wasn't obviously at the trial but uh, again from the reports that I've heard there there are always going to be some difficulties with the Crown case um, they, they, they they are getting again the evidence and the witnesses they had but I, I think they believe based on this evidence there was a strong case for murder and I think that the backup case essentially was the manslaughter verdict but you're right there is a bit of a problem with the uh, distinction between the murder and the manslaughter verdict because both of them r- r- rely to a certain extent on rejecting the evidence of the accused. But of course, there is still a path to manslaughter there. You can realize, um, I'm sorry, recognize that perhaps uh, the accused' version of pulling on the trigger for example, was not something that was done intentionally. So there, there's a way to get to manslaughter still, even if you reject the evidence of the hang fire theory and accept that maybe through, although he says he didn't pull the trigger, the tension of the event, what was going on, the excitement of what was happening might have led him to pull the trigger, which would actually be a manslaughter conviction.
0: Right. And, and I think a lot of people have made the observation that, I mean, we have strict firearm laws in, in this country, so that the, the, he's carrying around the gun or even inadvertently pointing it uh, at somebody and not really knowing for sure whether or not it's loaded. I mean, I don't know if that's manslaughter, but... I mean, it, 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 seems, it seems like something. Well,
1: again, yeah, correct. The, the problem that we have, again, as Michael points out, is the more you go down that line, the more it seems to translate to murder. Like, it just it doesn't seem like there is the accident available. But you're right. I mean, the basic idea of, of waving the, the gun around, the carelessness, et cetera, the, the issue for the Crown is the Crown has to show that that was a marked departure from the ordinary standard in the circumstances. And I, I'm guessing that the Crown felt they had a pretty good case in that regard. As you point out, it's one thing to be frightened and fire off the two warning shots, which the Crown said was legitimate, but it's something else altogether to start waving that gun around um, when there are people in the vicinity. And again, to a certain extent, it, it depends upon what the jury believed as to uh, what was in Mr. Stanley's mind when he was doing those things. But again, it, 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 it's, uh, as you point out, it's a tough one to accept when you when you think about the laws that we have and we think about the idea of waving a firearm around, either it's Um, an intentional act or it's certainly a very careless one.
0: Right. But again, the onus is on the crown. Absolutely. And and people, you know, we need to remember that. In any case where, you know, the verdict seems frustrating or controversial, I mean, it's such an important facet of our system to understand that we need to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt.
1: Absolutely. There's no question about that. And ultimately, it's the jury's call as to, you know, what the evidence actually proved. I think one of the questions that's come up in this case is the extent to which this hang fire theory was actually available as a matter of logic for the jury to decide. And I think that's one of the issues that might come up uh, if this case does go on appeal.
0: Right. And, and so to that, there, there are a few things that have come up. That That's a big part of it. Um, the, the composition of the jury, and you know the the, the whole system itself and the way that uh, you know the defense is able to to use tactics to to exclude certain people from the jury, how much of that is is an issue that needs to be addressed and, and do you think may have been a factor here?
1: I think it's, there's, there's two really good questions there, so I'm going to try and keep them separate. I want to mm-hmm. just, uh, if I forget, as I go through the first part, remind me about the how much it was a factor here. Um, but but the, the question of jury representation is not a new one. Um, it's one that's been on the forefront of a lot of people's minds for a very long time. We should be very clear that while in this case we're talking about the defense doing this to exclude uh, Aboriginal jurors from the jury pool, let's not forget that th- these cases normally have run on, on the Exact opposite. It has been the Crown who has used their powers to exclude Aboriginal jurors or minority jurors when the accused is of that uh, uh, racial makeup. Right. And that's how, there have been a lot of cases like that that have gone forward up to the appellate courts challenging what the Crown has done. And for the most part, the courts haven't gotten too enthusiastic about this type of thing. They have recognized that there are concerns, but they're sort of been wedded to the old idea of peremptory challenges. So I believe that if anything comes out of this case, I'm hoping that it's going to be some long-term uh, uh, analysis of the extent to which we should be allowing for either the number or the extent to which these peremptory challenges are used by one party to exclude uh, racial members of the jury, and I and I think that's a concern that has been identified before. This is not something new. This is just a huge example of it coming up in a very controversial case. Right now, I believe I've forgotten the well. Second in, part. In, in terms of it how played it, yeah,
0: yeah. it played a factor here, I mean, I don't I don't know that we should think of people as, as racial actors that the white jurors are going to with a white guy or Aboriginal jurors would have sided against Gerald Stanley just based on those those racial factors. But
1: That's why I wanted to keep that separate, because I didn't want to make that allegation either. I think that's a really tricky thing to be saying, but I, I don't really think it matters. And, and the reason I don't think it matters is because I think what really matters is the extent to which we feel confidence in the verdict that's been rendered. So, what I mean by that is, it's, it's, it's the appearance that I think is so troubling in this case. The basic idea that this is what happened, and then you end up having this result. It just doesn't look good, and, and it allows us to lose confidence in the actual verdict that's taking place. So, again, without pointing fingers and saying it was, I mean, obviously in the worst case scenario, a lot of people will allege, well, this was a biased verdict. These were people who were, you know, the jury was constructed in a particular way, and it came out to a biased outcome. But I don't really think you need to go even that far. I think the concern here and the concern with the use of challenges to exclude racialized members in the way in which it's taken place in this and in other cases is that we lose our confidence overall in the jury. I think that David Butt in the Globe and Mail put it very well when he said if you had a jury in this case with uh, six uh, indigenous members and six uh, non-indigenous members of the jury and you came out with this result, I think we would feel a lot more confident about the result that's actually taken place, yeah. and I think it would allow us to move on in a way that said, okay, well, maybe something went wrong here, but, but that's what the jury found. And I think when you, when you don't have that, you're left with these questions, and I don't think that's good for the justice system.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Now, going forward, there's going to be a lot of pressure on 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 the Crown to appeal this. I, I don't think they can appeal just because they don't like the outcome. I believe there has to be some kind of error in law they can point to. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the crown needs to have a good error of law—something uh, that went wrong in the way in which the jury was charged, or in which the evidence was admitted. And, and, and again, it's difficult to speculate because I don't know about the uh, the ins and outs of the way in which the evidence was adduced at trial. But I have always been curious about the way in which the hangfire theory was adduced. Um, it's very unusual. To see a theory like that adduced without expert evidence, it's just it's 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 very strange. You're essentially putting forward anecdotal evidence by someone who said it happened to them once before, and the worry about that is that it sort of overvalues the evidence potentially in the minds of the jury. You've essentially got this anecdote without any basis to uh, understand it, and and I guess you can caution the jury all you like about saying an anecdote is just that it's an anecdote. But it's not as if the jury's out there scouring all the evidence that there is. They're essentially weighing the evidence that they've heard, and when you put one way one witness in front of them to testify about this anecdotal evidence, the, the worry is that the jury is going to latch on to that because that's what they've heard.
0: Uh, and so a uh, thought from you on, on all the, the political commentary here. I, you know, if this is going to be retried and we've got comments from the prime minister and cabinet ministers about this verdict, is, is that problematic?
1: I'm concerned. I don't think it's uh I think there are ways to express sympathy and there are ways to express concerns about the verdict without uh undermining the legitimacy of the jury system. And I think the problem with that is I don't think it's really good for anybody. I don't really think it helps. I think it ratchets up the concern. I think it risks again losing the uh, appearance of fairness because you've got the Attorney General of Canada opining that this was an injustice. And I think that's troublesome. I think there are ways to express it. I understand their concerns. Look, I'm expressing it to you. I have concerns. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have concerns too and I'm expressing that there were a lot of concerns about the way this takes place. And I think there are ways for which that the the political, you know, establishment of this country can state those things without going so far as to essentially, you know, I don't know, throw shade on everyone involved in the process and and again, whatever you think, again I think there's reason to be questioning about what the jury did, but the jury was doing its job. That's what they were tasked with doing. I mean, who the hell wants to go on a jury when the prime minister and the the minister of justice, when you, when you come up with a result that is, um, problematic, they're going to throw shade at you, and and that's going to undermine the work that you've done. I don't really think that's effective. If there are rules that led us to a place that is unacceptable, well, the prime minister, no one is better placed than the prime minister and the minister of justice to make changes to those rules.
0: Yeah, excellent point. We'll leave it there much more at uh, petersankoff.com. Peter, thanks for the insight. I really appreciate this. Okay,
1: thanks for having me. Take
0: care. Peter Sankoff, professor of the University of Alberta, uh, faculty of law, also associate counsel at Mattis Law Group. So his thoughts on this verdict and some of the issues around the case, it is, I think, highly irresponsible for the prime minister and some of his cabinet ministers to be saying what they're saying about all of this. Here's an example to follow. Now, albeit this is a, a lowly city councilor in the city of Edmonton, but he's an elected official and he also happens to be indigenous. He tweeted, I've been asked to make a statement regarding the Colton Bushy murder, well, death and the Stanley trial says, as an elected official, even locally and in another province, it would be irresponsible to make any statement that might color perspectives in the event of what may be an inevitable appeal. Additionally, there is a necessary separation between judicial, legislative, and executive powers in this country. They are parallel systems that should, as far as possible, stay in their lanes. This is important. Now, he goes on with some some thoughts just kind of on, you know, division in this country and and the need for leadership, and he makes some really interesting points, but just that fundamental point, the separation between powers in this country, and how irresponsible it is to make those kinds of statements. As Peter Sankoff said, we're in a situation in the aftermath of this, we're talking about, well, how do we get more people serving on juries? And then to undermine the work that juries are doing, that is not helpful. This jury, from all accounts, took this responsibility very seriously. They were coming back and asking for clarifications. They were coming back and asking to go through certain evidence again. The the idea that they were were rash or they were racist or they were just stupid is not helpful at all and certainly not backed up by the evidence. This young man's death is a tragedy. Colton Bushy should not be dead. But that does not mean that Gerald Stanley is a murderer or that he got away with murder. right? To me, the verdict seems logical. There's some very unusual circumstances here. It's a very difficult evidence that the jury needed to deal with. But based on all the factors, what they came back with, to me, is not unreasonable. If there's an error in law here, then fine, the Crown can appeal. But some of the reaction has just been, I think... Needlessly inflammatory and really over the top. 403 974 8255 is a number. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk, 770 Calgary.